We're looking at the topic of stepping out. What is it that we can do as individuals and as a church family to step out into our community, go alongside other people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in this community, and invest in transforming relationships? And, and today we're going to kind of talk about the concept of team and look at the example that Jesus set for us when he invested in his disciples, in his apostles, when he called them and equipped them uh, to do the work that they did. And and the best example that I can think about is is what's happening right now. Uh, This is one of my uh, most favorite times of the year in the sports world, uh, because for about five weeks, uh, college basketball is just incredible. Uh, buzzer beater after buzzer beater after buzzer beater in these games and these conference tournaments and the next week and the weeks following the NCAA tournament. And for those of you that don't follow college basketball closely, in the highest level of college basketball, there's about 348 teams that start the year competing for one national championship trophy. Now, there are a few teams that are ineligible. They're new to Division I, so they can't compete in the postseason yet. I think there's two that for disciplinary reasons, they did some things that the NCAA thought was wrong and they're being punished uh, by not being able to play in the postseason this year. So there's about 340 teams that last week and this week have been playing in their conferences tournament. Single elimination, you lose, you're done, you win, you advance. Yesterday, today, over the course of the past week, teams have been winning their conference tournament and they're gonna automatically make a tournament that tonight on national television, 68 college basketball teams will be put into this one tournament. They'll all play towards the final four. Every few years, the final four rotates through and is in Houston. I think it's in Houston uh, next year. Um, One team finishes that tournament with a win and they get to hold up this giant trophy that says 2022 national champion. My alma mater, Baylor University, held up the 2021 National Championship Trophy last year. So we're kind of riding that high. Whatever happens this year is okay with us because we're still celebrating the 2021 championship. Uh, No whooping, but I understand the Aggies have a chance to automatically advance into the tournament today. Uh, Obviously, everybody despises Gonzaga. They're always the number one team. Then they get beat in the tournament and everybody's happy and all that. But this is going to be happening over the course of the next several days. But, but what's happening right now doesn't start when they tip off in November. The college basketball regular season starts in the month of November, goes through December, January, February, turns into March, and that's when you want to be playing your best basketball. But Baylor's national champion, championship, for example, in 2021 started in about 2015 when the head coach, Scott Drew, and his coaching staff started recruiting players as eighth graders and ninth graders to come and play in his system. But really it started before that because he had to decide what, what kind of basketball is our team going to play? What style of offense are we run, gonna run? What style of defense are we gonna run? Because then we have to get the right players to run that system. I think they've got about 12 or 14 scholarships they can give out every year. And some coaches stay in some places for a really long time. That system evolves a little bit. Some bounce around a little quicker. But all that to say, the coach has a very important role in picking the right players to be on that team and helping those players get to know one another so they know how to talk to one another on the court and off the court. They know how to relate to one another. They know their role. Some guys are on there to play defense and rebound. Some guys are on the team to score. Some guys are on the team because they're really good passers. Some guys are, uh, someone told me after one of the services, you got to remember the bench players because they help them in practice. They help them scout the other team and they find out what it is that the other team does and they simulate that in practice. So everybody on the team has an important role and the goal 
is that those players would be playing their best team basketball come March. And they would go as far as they can, if not win their conference tournament, and then go as far as they can, maybe try to get to the final four, win the national championship. Now what's gonna happen is this team's gonna hoist this trophy up on the first Monday in April and everybody's gonna celebrate, confetti's gonna fall, and if you're like me, you might remember over the course of the years one or two national champions from previous years. You might remember a moment from a key game, a, a crazy shot that someone made, a big upset. They seed everybody one through 16, they put them in different regions and only one time ever has a 16th seeded team beat a number one seeded team. Literally, David beating Goliath in that sense. And yet, none of this is going to last. These coaches are going to spend hours and hours and hours, devote their lives to this, and they're going to celebrate, and their universities are going to be proud of them, their alumni, their donors, uh, people that are friends of theirs, that may be a, a mentor coach, Baylor's coach. His mentor is his dad. He, he learned basketball from his dad, who was a head coach in college basketball. Others learned from other head coaches they played for, they were with. But, but none of what's happening over the course of the next few weeks is going to last into eternity. But we see in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus put a team together that did something that, that lasts today, and it lasts through today into eternity. And for all of eternity, the investment that Jesus made and his 12 apostles is something that lasts forever. And he's making that same investment in First Baptist Church Conroe. And he's making that same investment in and through other Christian churches in Conroe and Montgomery County and beyond. And, and we're seeing God do some incredible things. And I really truly believe that God has called us to do something great. God has called First Baptist Church Conroe at this specific time in history to a specific vision uh, to engage in 10,000 transforming relationships. And we're counting those and we're looking at those and you're responding to those and, and filling out cards or sending us emails or filling out online and letting us know the person that you're, you're sharing your faith with or somebody you're discipling or mentoring or a, a family that you're helping meet some of the needs that they have and you're letting us know and asking us, hey, how, how can I help engage more? How can I do things? God has called us to something great, something that will last, something that's eternal, but, but there's a problem in that. And sometimes it causes us to have a little bit of a hang up in our, what is our real role in this scenario, in this, in this team? What is our real role, Hill? And that's that, that you and I are fallen individuals. You and I are not perfect. We, we continually fall short of God's glory. And the people that God's called us to reach, they're fallen too. Their lives are in chaos the same way our lives are in chaos or have been in chaos. We are not perfect people. None of these teams that are vying for this trophy are perfect, but one of them is going to play better basketball than all the other teams over the course of the next three weeks. So what is it that, that then has to happen for those of us that are fallen to engage in transforming relationships and, and make an investment that truly lasts? Well, we see it's in and through knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to what happens in Luke chapter, chapter six, starting in verse 12 through verse 16, as Jesus uh, calls together some of his disciples to be his apostles. He says in verse 12, it says, in those days he, being Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God and when, the, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter and Andrew his brother and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the, the zealot and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. 
So we get introduced to the 12 men that Jesus called from his bigger group of disciples to be his apostles. So let's distinguish right now before we, before we continue, let's distinguish between the term disciple and the term apostle. A disciple is one who is taught by another, a learner. You hear about different, you know, in, in the fields of philosophy and education and, and even in coaching, you're someone as a disciple of so-and-so. It means they learned from someone else. They maybe don't do it exactly the way they did it, but they learn the basic principles of their field, their craft, from an individual who was an expert or, or considered to be the best or the greatest or the wisest in that field. And so you have these people who are the disciples of Jesus. They're people who are being taught by him. And Jesus taught in several different ways. He taught by, by example. Some of the disciples, some of the followers would be with Jesus when he'd minister to somebody and they would get to see that happen and they would learn by his example. He, he taught explicitly by telling them exactly what they were supposed to do. Much of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his disciples and his followers about how to live their lives and about how to grow spiritually and about how to interact with the world. And so Jesus spent some of his, his few years of ministry with his disciples and his followers teaching them and they were learners. And then we see an apostle is one who is sent forth, an ambassador. <coughs> Excuse me. An apostle is one who is sent forth, an ambassador. And these 12 from the bigger group of disciples were picked by Jesus after this night of prayer to be his representatives in the world, to, to carry the name of Jesus and, and, and walk so closely with him that they reflected who he was to the world around him. You know, right now we, we have in our, our current system of, of government, we have a, a mechanism in which the president selects people to be the United States ambassador to X country. And so they are there in that country representing the ideals and the beliefs and the practices of the United States of America. Some of them are in countries that are very similar to ours. Some of them are in countries that are very different from ours, but their job, their role is to represent the United States in that foreign land. In the same way, Jesus called these apostles to be his ambassadors, the ambassadors of the kingdom of God to the world around them. And we see in scripture that even after Jesus lives his life, dies on the cross, rises again, and then ascends into heaven, that 11 of these 12 listed in this passage, plus one more who replaces Judas, who betrayed Jesus and ended up taking his own life after giving Jesus up to be crucified, we see that these, those 12 helped in the formation of what we know as the church today. They helped grow and lay the foundation for the Christian faith to spread all around the world. But prior to knowing Jesus, they, they were kind of a ragtag bunch of individuals. There was no real connection between most of them other than geography. A couple of them were family members, but, but really it's just where they lived at the time. They were living in close to the area where Jesus was and he begins to call these individuals out to follow him, to be his disciples, to learn from him. And after a time, he calls some to be his apostles. But before they encountered Jesus, they lacked several things. Uh, and you're gonna be able to relate to them in this way. And I think those that, that you are engaged with and those that you will be engaged with in transforming relationships, they, they will possess or they will have these same, they will lack these same things as well. And the first thing that the apostles lacked was spiritual understanding. That's obvious because much of what Jesus does in the gospels is teach them more about him and more about things of God and more about things of heaven and eternity than things of this world and how to respond differently than the world does. And he helped them gain spiritual understanding. 
The second thing they lacked was humility. You see this some in their behaviors. Uh, Throughout the gospels, you see different times where different disciples, different followers, different apostles of Jesus would take their eyes literally or figuratively off Jesus and focus it on their own understanding, their own way of doing things. And that, that shows that lack of humility that they have to say, my way is better. I, I don't trust Jesus. I want to do my way. And then obviously before they knew Jesus, they lacked faith. For some of them, faith was in an institution, in a religious system, in a, in a way of doing things, not in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes into the world and he, he grows up as a boy and he's, he's trained and he, he grows up and in his 30s, he begins to, late 20s, early 30s, he begins to, to meet these disciples and call them out and gains this following of people who come alongside him and they begin to place their faith in him because they saw what he was capable of doing. They saw the miracles, they saw the healings, they heard the teachings, they saw that what he was saying was in line with what he was doing and they placed their faith in him. Some of them at times lacked commitment. There were times that they doubted that Jesus really was who he says he was or they were, they were not willing to say that they identified with Jesus. Peter did that three times uh, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. You know, they were not as committed to him as God would desire them to be. And then they also, the fifth thing they lacked was power. And so they're a pretty weak bunch of folks. Kind of like us in our fallen state. Sometimes we feel very weak and powerless. The disciples would not, you say, you look back over the course of history and say, what are the types of people that, that the world would pick to be the world changers? Uh, these 12 guys were not that. Uh, they were exactly the opposite of that. And so something, something had to happen. Something had to, to come into play that would, that would lead to these 12 men being invested in by Jesus in such a way that because of what they did, the world would be changed. And I think there's two things that, that happen in their, in their time with Jesus that I think then give us two questions that we have to answer today. And the first thing is this. The apostles' relationship with Jesus, I think, was part of the secret sauce of why this worked. And the second thing is the apostles' commitment to Jesus. Let me explain what those two, what relationship really means in this context and what commitment really means in this context. There are probably a a number of people in this room, probably a greater, a much greater percentage of people in this room than the other two services that use at least one of the three primary forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You would say to, at least on two of those, I'm following so-and-so on Twitter. I'm following so-and-so on Instagram. Sometimes it's somebody you've never met before. You can even, there's a follow click on Facebook. You can go follow someone and see their post and not be friends with them, which is weird. Why would you want to follow someone you're not friends with? But whatever. Well, I had a good dad joke in the, the middle service. If you're following them, where are you going? I was hoping that my crew down front would laugh at that. They, they missed it. It's Time Change Sunday. I'll give them credit for that. But as you think about that, that's a casual way of following someone. A relationship with Jesus is not just saying you follow like, okay, I I can say two or three scriptures. I can recite two or three things from the Bible about him. Or I got saved as a a nine-year-old at vacation Bible school and I got baptized in a baptistry like that one up there. And that changed my life. And then, but then really things haven't been really very different since then. Or, Or it's not just that 
that you know about Jesus. You can, you can tell some people some facts about him, who he was, when he lived, what he did, how he died, how he rose again, how he's alive today. It, it, it's truly devoting your life uh, to really genuinely getting to know the person of Jesus. And, and there are two ways you can do that. One, you spend time reading God's word and you keep reading it and you keep reading it and you keep reading it. And God reveals to you thing after thing after thing that Jesus did and how he treated people. And you be like him and you surround yourself, you involve yourself with other people who are like Christ. Now that isn't all we should do as Christians. We shouldn't always spend time with other Christians. But when you really surround yourself with people who are like Christ, you can become more like him as well as you follow their example, as they are following Christ. So the apostles' relationship with him, they, they spent their lives, the, this chunk of their lives was with him. Everywhere he went, they went. They were truly and genuinely in relationship with Jesus. And then the second thing, they were committed to him. See, Jesus physically left them and the work didn't stop. Their commitment to him was so great that when he left, when he ascended into heaven and he promised them the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter one, verse eight, they continued the work. Some of them were so committed to that work and that calling that when it came time to deny Jesus or identify with Jesus or be killed, they identified with Jesus and they were killed because of that. They were fully, completely, 100% committed to the call of the Christian faith and what it is that Jesus calls us to. And so we see that. We see in our own lives, maybe right now, maybe at a time in the past when we lacked spiritual understanding, when we lacked humility and faith, commitment and power. But maybe some of you, if not many of you, hopefully, prayerfully, most of you have that time and that place in your life when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You began to walk in a relationship with him. And if we were to ask you these questions today, if we were to go around the room individually and just say, are you walking in relationship with Jesus? Are you fully committed to the cause of Christ? A, a good chunk of you might say yes. If, if the answer to either of those two questions, am I truly walking in relationship with Jesus? Am I fully committed to the cause of Christ? If, if, the, if the answer to both of or either of those questions is no, I'd love to visit with you some more. Because uh, there's been times in my life when the answer to those questions weren't, weren't always yes or weren't always 100% yes. And probably everybody in this room that's a believer would say there's times in my life when, when that wasn't always the case. And here's what I've learned to be too from scripture and what I've learned from spending time in God's teaching and God's word and growing to be more like Jesus so that I can make the changes in my life needed to really truly walk with him. So if the answer is no, after the service is over, I'm gonna be at the next steps area just across the, the atrium. I'd love to visit with you about what it means to take steps, to walk in relationship with Jesus and be more committed to him. But if you would say, Alan, yes, the answer is yes to both of those questions, I would, I would want you to think about it this way. Because there's probably, if the answer to those questions is, is yes, then there should be at least one person in your life that you're engaged in a transforming way with. A coworker, a classmate, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody in our community that you see frequently that, that if they were asked the question about you, is, is she fully committed to following the cause of Christ? Is he walking in relationship with Jesus? Is that person that, that you know from work and they would be able to answer that question yes for you? And then you would see that, that what's happening, whether you're sharing your faith with a neighbor or coworker, whether you're discipling a new believer, mentoring someone, helping meet 
a, a, a strong need that someone's got in their life, any of these examples of, 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 of things that we are defining as a transforming relationship with someone else in, in this world, in your life, that person, if you're really engaged with them at the level that God's called you to be engaged with them in, then that person ought to know that you're walking in relationship with Jesus and that you're fully committed to his cause. Now let's think for just a second before we, before we kind of tie things together here about those individuals that God has called us to reach. Because just like you and I are fallen, just like these disciples were fallen individuals that lack spiritual understanding, humility, faith, commitment, and power, those that God has called us to reach, some of those things may be non-existent in their life. They may have no clue who Jesus is. They may have no concept of, of a loving and faithful God. They may have some concept of that, some amount of spiritual understanding, but no humility or faith or, or commitment or power. But, but, but they have an opportunity to learn from you, to see in you an ambassador of Jesus Christ, an apostle, a modern day apostle, one who's been sent forth by Jesus. Those of us from First Baptist Conroe going out as ambassadors for God's kingdom, investing in the eternal, they have a chance to see that in you. But even more so, they have a chance to see the person of Jesus Christ in you. Because they can see that God changed your life in a radical way through his son Jesus Christ and they can have that as well. He's not a secret that, that any of us desire to keep. We wanna share that with those around us. But, but know this, as you engage over the course of weeks, months, even years with someone who's lost, a new believer that you're helping learn to be more like Christ, someone you're mentoring, you may, you may not see the fruit of it this side of eternity. Jesus invested just as much in Peter as he did in Judas Iscariot. Jesus invested just as much in each of the other disciples as he did with Judas. And what did Judas do? Judas do? He went behind his back, betrayed him, gave him up to be crucified. And so know that as you're investing in those around you, know that God desires us to be obedient to him and to be faithful and trust him to do what only he's capable of doing. And thankfully, he gives us through his son Jesus, he gives us two promises that we're gonna close our time in looking at today. So there's gonna be times over the course of the days and weeks and months that you're engaging in a relationship with someone that you may feel there's a lack of spiritual understanding or humility or faith or commitment or power. But Jesus promises us and commands us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says this, he said, all authority has been given to me now go and make disciples. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. He gave his followers that message after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. And he said this, he said, after he said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, he says, and I promise I will be with you even to the end of the age. So we have that promise that Jesus is with us and Jesus is the one at the center of all of this. Further, on top of that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit promised to us in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, a local area, Judea, a more regional area, Samaria, a bigger area, and to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why we as a church family and missions engage locally and beyond because we follow that pattern set forth in Acts 1.8. But you and I can follow that pattern as well. So we engage those around us closest to us and work out from there, starting in our own families and working out from there. And so know that, that as you seek to, as you seek to invest in the eternal, 
as you seek to engage in transforming relationships, know that Jesus is with you. You can be in relationship with him. You can spend time with him in a radical and powerful, life-changing way on a daily basis. And he promises you the power you need to do it through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our world today. And he gives us that as a church family. He gives us that individually. He gives the whole Christian world that opportunity to be engaged in relationship with those around him. And so as we prepare to close our time together this morning in God's word, I just wanna challenge you. Who is it that you're engaged in relationship with? How are you investing in the eternal? You know, at the beginning of the message, I talked about a lot of the great things that, that are happening just over the course of the last couple of weeks in the life of our church. And I, I, I long for the day when we don't have enough email space and we don't have enough text space and we don't have enough time in the pulpit to celebrate the things that God is doing in and through our church. And that's beginning to snowball and beginning to happen. And we love seeing that. And we love seeing people fill out cards and drop them in the baskets in the atrium to let us know the, the, the transforming relationships they're engaged in. But know that as a church family, we desire to see God move in a powerful way through our church and our community. And you get to be a part of that. The same way Jesus invested in his disciples for eternity, he's pouring into you through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And he desires for you to be his ambassadors in Conroe and beyond. 